The following is a CA original. The mighty sound of the South, tailgating on Tiger Lane. Each one a Memphis football tradition. This is the Tiger Football Podcast. What's happening, Tiger football fans? We are back for another edition of the Tiger Football Podcast. I'm Mark Giannato, commercial appeal sports columnist. I am joined, as always, by Evan Barnes, our Tiger football beat writer. We are coming to you uh, days after Memphis gets bowl eligible for the ninth straight season, a resounding 59 to nothing win over North Alabama. Uh, they improved to six and five heading into their regular season finale at SMU. We've got a lot to get to in today's podcast. Got to, we'll recap that North Alabama game, what there is to recap uh, in terms of significance. Uh, talk a little bit about the Danton Bartow, Danton Bartow uh, jersey retirement, how that all played into it. Uh, some interesting comments from Ryan Silverfield about name, image, and likeness. Uh, we'll dive into those. Uh, and Joe Hoyt from the Dallas Morning News will uh, join us as well. He'll get us ready for that SMU game, and we'll uh, wrap things up with a little SMU preview. But let's start, Evan, with the Memphis-North Alabama game. Um, is there anything to take away from it other than, you know, pretty significant that Memphis is now bowl eligible for a ninth straight year? It's the longest streak among group of five football programs at the moment. Um, was there anything else you took away besides that? And, and what does that mean, you think, uh, for the program, that they're bowl eligible again? No, nah, I think the game speaks for itself. I mean, Memphis did what it needed to do. It dominated and won in, now one in 10 FCS team that had been, you know, had fired its coach and frankly was overmatched, didn't even cross the 45-yard line, its own 45-yard line. Um I think the game spoke for itself. Memphis did what they needed to do. It was good to see some of the young guys get in. Uh, Eddie Lewis had a great putt return score. Uh, Zay Collins had a uh, pick six. Quindell Johnson got his fourth interception of the year. Zay, I think, got his fourth fumble recovery. Not much we need to talk about the game. I think it was exactly what they needed. I was more... I was more curious about the celebration afterwards where you saw players kind of, you know, celebrating on the field. You know, Javon Ivory was directing the marching band. Uh, Quindell Johnson and Zay Collins took a victory lap, kind of just, you know, soaking in their last home game. Um, And, of course, the scoreboard, 59-0 to honor. um, Not to honor, but it was a nice coincidence with Danton Bartles number 59 being honored. So the game itself was expected but getting that bowl win the players were happy about it and a lot of people did notice that 59-0 score um as a nice kind of nod to to Danton Bardo so overall uh, a solid Saturday at Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium um all in all what is the latest going into this SMU game from what you can tell what is the latest uh in bowl projection world for Memphis football right now what's what's it looking like in terms now that they are officially bowl eligible what are we looking at? What do you think? All right. So this week's bowl projections, uh, the majority of them, uh, some Memphis fans may not like to hear it. Birmingham Bowl is on the docket, according to. Well, can I few. stop you there real quick? I don't sure. understand the hate for the Birmingham Bowl now because it's in it's not in that crappy stadium anymore. And it's going to be in the new stadium. 
And it's a game that's dr- very easy to get to for Memphis. I don't understand the the shade, if you will, towards the Birmingham Bowl. Like, it used to be because they played in a crappy stadium. But, like, now, I, I don't know. It feels like a pretty attractive option to me. It's a c- close drive from Memphis, and it's in a brand-new stadium. Well, I, I think trauma has to do with it. Like, a lot of people are used to that, that experience not being, you know, favorable um, mm-hmm. I personally, when I went in 2018, we stayed out there. I did not like the food options in the city. I thought the food options were all right until the last day or two, I think. But if there's a new stadium, that's cool. But I don't know. I think some fans just have that trauma of of not so glad experiences that they just don't want to go back there, I, I guess. Well, it's probably because they have been there. It's not like a it's not an actual trip. Um, you know, it's just like driving to Birmingham for a day type of deal. But I don't know. Personally, for me, I don't know. I kind of look at it as, you know, it's an easy way to get to the bowl game. Whereas if they go, I don't know, what are some of the other options? It's Birmingham Bowl. Who's the opponent? So a few opponents for the Birmingham Bowl here. Uh, 247 Sports has BYU. Action Network has Southern Miss, an old rival. Uh, Interesting. Two sites, Sports Illustrated and Yahoo, have Birmingham Bowl opponent being UAB, which will be a AAC opponent next year. Um, ESPN had South Alabama, uh, Sporting News at Utah State. So games that Memphis can pretty much win, except for that BYU match. So that's kind of what you're looking at. Okay. Um, I still think, I still wonder, Independence Bowl, I said it last week, got my uh, – <laughs> I think Independence Bowl could be in play, but we'll see. I think Birmingham would be – I think actually Birmingham would be a good good landing spot for this team personally um, given the proximity, um, and we'll see. I, usually it's an SEC opponent, but I guess maybe they're, they are projecting that the SEC is not going to have enough teams. Like, you know, obviously like – mm-hmm. I guess Vanderbilt could beat Tennessee this weekend. They'd get bowl eligible maybe – um, there's a couple others. Auburn, I guess, would have to beat Bama. I don't know if that's going to happen to get bowl eligible. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, interesting where they will end up. Um, in terms of this week, the bigger news felt like, or not bigger news, but the more, I guess, noteworthy happening outside of, you know, you, you kind of, even though, yes, they technically officially got bowl eligible against North Alabama, you know, it really did feel like unofficially they got bowl eligible against Tulsa. Right. You just knew they were, I mean, that was, that North Alabama team was awful. Um, right. <laughs> but Laird Veach and Ryan Silverfield and Penny Hardaway and Katrina Merriweather uh, came out with a video. There was a letter sent out by Laird Veach um, imploring Memphis fans to better embrace NIL and start donating towards name, image, and likeness. Uh, and subsequently, Ryan Silverfield spoke about it at his Monday press conference following the North Alabama win, how sort of important NIL has become. Um, and um, I think the initial reaction I had was, oh, man, this is even though they've included Penny and Katrina Merriweather in this, this really seems like it applies to football because Laird Veach mentioned that starting in December, we could lose players because of this, because of NIL. And what team could lose players in November and December because of this? It's the football program Um, because the portal, you know, the end of the season means the portal is going to be as open as it ever has been. It means 
um, you know, you're going to be looking for transfers and guys on your roster might be looking to transfer out. Um, and you've also got the early signing period in December. Um, subsequently, I do think we've seen many programs around the country are doing what Memphis did last week and kind of putting out videos, reminding their fan bases, hey, like this is the new world. Um, you know, it used to be you donated for facilities. You donated if we, you know, you you, you got boosters to fund, you know, firing a coach or whatever. Um, and But now we need you to, you know, we need you so we can replenish and retain our rosters. Um, and so I took it more as like a sign of this is the new world more than like Memphis is desperate for money, <laughs> you know. Um, but I'm curious, given what Ryan you were there when Ryan Silverfield talked about it. You saw you saw the email and the video, Evan. What what do you make of Memphis's NIL push, if you will, here at the end of November as we approach the end of the football season. See, I, I kind of took it maybe not desperate, but there was an urgency in there to kind of let it know, hey, guys, we, we kind of need you all to, you know, pass the plate around and put something in it to kind of, you know, help us get into this new era. Maybe it wasn't a Tommy West type request in 2009, but I felt like it was the same level of urgency where, hey, we kind of need this. Otherwise, we're not going to be relevant as a team contending for, you know, AAC championships or at least trying to get players here that can help change our program. Um, I, I took it as just kind of, as a, hey, guys, this is what it's about. What I thought was interesting was, you know, looking at this game, like, you know, looking at SMU, Ryan Silfield came out and said, look, SMU is not shy about it. They're going to pay their players. They're at the forefront of it. They have a pretty good handle of things. And he kind of, I thought it was an interesting contrast. Maybe he didn't mean it that way, but I thought with him saying that, and then contrasting that with Memphis basically saying, look, we're still trying to educate our boosters and our, our donors about NIL. It, it almost feels like what they're saying is they're almost still like kind of like the, the beginning stages. Hey, people still have questions about it while some schools are already going all the way in with it. And so I, I thought it was really interesting. And Ryan came out and said, yeah, you know, I, I stand behind what Laird Beach had to say. Um, I believe of course he you know, does. Yeah, of course. Like, not, <laughs> he not a surprise. worse than anyone. Not a surprise. It, I, you know, we, we tried to get him to kind of say that, hey, you know, do you think you need this for your program? But, it, it, you know, we, 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 we framed it in a good way. But basically, I thought Ryan basically said, yeah, you know, we need this for, you know, it, it shows our, our, our players that you care about us. It shows recruits that, hey, we're going to stand behind you, blah, blah, blah. I, I think it's interesting, but I also think – it makes this game a very interesting, um, I don't know, foreshadowing is the world, but a dynamic where you have one team in SMU that clearly has been waiting to do this NIL stuff for 30 years since the Pony Express days in the 80s, <laughs> and Memphis that's still trying to get this off the ground, at least for football, because we know basketball, they've had no problem making sure that guys like Jalen Duran, Amani Bates, and I'm sure Mikey Williams and J.J. Taylor, um, well, will be, you know, they'll bring stuff to Memphis. But, yeah, it will be a very yeah, interesting dynamic. I was going to say that those guys in basketball, I don't know if that was Memphis securing – deals for them as much as they just came to Memphis with deals already, you know, basically in place. Yeah, um, sure. It is interesting because, you know, I look at it and I go like one of the problems with the Memphis roster in my mind is I don't see a lot of guys on this roster, 
you know, who like are other teams going to be clamoring to get them? Like, it's honestly one of the problems with the roster is like, right. yeah, like Seth Hennigan and maybe like Caden Prescorn and, you know, um, maybe Cameron Jackson on the D line, you know, maybe. Yeah. But like, you know, I, I don't sense there's a ton of guys on this roster who like some power five teams going to come clamoring for. And so I don't think they need, and they said this, they don't need to do what SMU is doing where they're paying everyone $16,000 or whatever, essentially giving out a salary to everyone, depending, no matter if they're good or bad. Um, or, but like they do need to be able to, you know, for instance, you know, make sure Seth Hennigan is taken care of for it. You know, like, especially Mm -hmm. if you're bringing back Ryan Silverfield and that very much appears to be what is happening. Like you better be bringing back Seth Hennigan too. You know, like yes. if, if, if Seth Hennigan's leaving, um, you know, I don't see, you know, what is the, what is the point here? Um, so it's a, it's an interesting dynamic. Um, I just think it's, I just think if you look at it, they need to change the structure of how people are giving money to the unit, to the athletic department. Um, and that's what this is about. Like ultimately right now, especially because it appears that the money for the Liberty Bowl project or Simmons Bank Liberty Stadium renovations, right. a lot of that is going to come from just state money, it feels like now. Um, and so, like, you don't necessarily – you're not necessarily needing to raise a ton of money for that. And so now it feels like the number one priority should be probably, if you're Memphis, you know, the acquisition and retention of – players. Yeah. I mean, that's just, that just seems like to me that, that that's the way Memphis can really still assert itself from the position of, you know, admitted weakness outside the power five that they're in. It's in basketball, you know, especially like you can go out and get two or three big time guys, the Kendrick Davises of the world. And now I don't know if you can copy that with football, but you know, I think you want to be at a, at a place where you can say we are at the very least competitive from an NIL perspective uh, with everyone in the group of five. And I don't, I think certainly when you compare them to SMU right now, you cannot say that about Memphis right now. It doesn't feel like their operation is close to the level that SMU's is for instance. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I think like Laird said in his email, you know, they're not trying to get into an arms race, so to speak, because you're not going to you're not going to compete with a city like Dallas. that has a lot more, um, you know, industries, with more money, more businesses, more people that you're not going to compete with that. But what you can do is try to just send a message and say, hey, you know, we understand what this is about. We're going to try to make sure you guys are taken care of. But I, I, I'm, I'm taking another thought about this. Like, again, I'm all for, you know, athletes being paid. There's no debate about that. I've been pretty clear about that. But what I'm wondering about is you, you you mentioned the point about like who on this roster is, you know, going to be poached or attractive to some of these schools like, you know, outside of, you know, Hennigan and Prescorn maybe. Um, I'm curious, what do you think about this, Mark? Do you think that this is kind of sustainable where schools are now asking donors to basically, you know, put in money for NIL instead of this being like an NIL sponsorship where a company comes in, takes somebody like, say, Calvin Austin with Wing Guru and gives them a deal. Like, do you think that that's kind of sustainable? Because I don't know if Memphis um, is in position just based on what I'm hearing from some boosters. Like, they're not, they've been trying to get money raised for a while in terms of boosters trying to, you know, put money for the NIL. So, do you think it's sustainable that a school now is going on record asking for 
its donors to kind of help with this? Well, I think it's just I think right now the way they have concocted the NIL situation, it's like the Wawa West right now. There's no regulation whatsoever, basically, um, because this is now this was put, you know, the NCAA dragged its feet forever. And then the state legislatures put in laws and um, the NCA has not put in any real rules to this. Every state, it's different, um, the rules of in terms <laughs> of what you can do from an NIL perspective. So, yeah, I think it's not sustained. The way it is right now, I, there needs to be some structure. I think everyone wants structure, but the NCAA is such a feckless, you know, sort of uh, – organization and has you know has very little you know they've done so much so much poorly that they've law you know people don't really respect or trust them it's really difficult right now um and so there is no structure and you know i think in some ways it could benefit memphis to, that it's like kind of the wild wild west it benefits here's what i should say it benefits the schools that have boosters that are willing to just kind of you know, because like being a booster of an athletic department in particular, a lot of times, like sometimes defies logic. Like it's like these really rich guys who are like the best in the country at making money, just like essentially like the guys who fund a coach firing. They're essentially just like kind of just dumping money into like without getting anything in return uh, in on their investment in by and large from a monetary standpoint it like runs counter to everything they probably did to make all the money that they're donating to the right. school right. um <laughs> so it takes kind of like a crazy i don't want to say crazy person but like it takes a certain type of person uh and you know to do that um and i think you know memphis in general it feels like is running into almost like an existential crisis of you know do we have the the boosters to compete with this widening gap between us the haves and the have-nots because there's always been haves and have-nots right but it does feel like in this new in this new era with these skyrocketing media rights deals and all that stuff that divide is much bigger than even it was 10 15 years ago between the haves and have-nots and that's what should be concerning from a memphis perspective particularly as it appears it is once again on the outside looking in of conference realignment. Um, now, I will say this. I, I think it's partly also like I think people are much more willing to give money when they're excited about the program and excited about the coach. And I think part of maybe some of their struggles have to do with that, to be quite honest. You know, the football, pro football program is not the exciting product it was three years ago. Um, and you know, at best people are lukewarm about the coach. Um, and so I think that probably plays a role in it too, that people are less willing to give money to a product they don't necessarily believe in. Uh, and that's the bet. That's the, you know, Memphis is kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place right now. They have a coach who's kind of like middling along. Um, and therefore they don't have enough money to get rid of that coach who's middling along. It feels like, or at least they feel they don't have enough money to get rid of them. Um, and so um, I think it also, when you look at the grand scheme of things, plays into just the whole state of the program, if you will. Um, so it, it's a fascinating time in college athletics. Things are changing on a dime. 
Um, but it does appear this offseason especially, NIL is going to be the topic at the top of every coach's head because it's a, you know the transfer portal is more important than ever, and it feels like NIL is now more important than ever within the context of the transfer portal in terms of who you're going to get and who you're going to lose. NIL is going to be a big part of that. And so uh, Memphis finds itself in the middle of all of that. All right, let's get ready for this SMU game because it is a chance for Memphis to maybe try and build some momentum uh, going into the offseason because, you know, they haven't really, you know, they've won six games. The only team that finished above 500 in those six wins this season, and I guess we don't know if they're going to finish above 500, but North Texas is six and five right now. Everyone else is below 500 uh, this season. So this would be a game against SMU. If you can win it, one, it'd be a road win, and Ryan Silverfield hasn't had many of those in his time at Memphis. And right. two, it'd be like your first win over a team you weren't supposed to beat, um, which I think is, you know, I don't know if it's like, if it will save, you know, if it will change people's minds about Ryan Silverfield, but I do think it can it will certainly give you something to feel good about going into the off season. Um, so let's get a little preview of SMU. Joe Hoyt from the Dallas Morning News uh, spoke with Evan earlier. Let's get his thoughts on this game. Joseph, how you doing? I'm doing well, Evan. Thanks for having me on. All right. Can I just call you Joe? I'd never call you Joseph except <laughs> like trying to ask for something politely. <laughs> no, yeah, please do, man. It was uh, Joseph was something I did in college as a way to sound more appealing for internships. I thought it sounded more professional. So, hey. but but you can call me Joe. I got you. Yeah, I totally understand completely. So, obviously, season finale for both Memphis and SMU this weekend. Uh, both of these teams are, are very interesting. But uh, I, I want I want you to talk about SMU a little more. Uh, Rushy Rice, um, this dude leads the nation in receiving yards. What what makes him such a difficult, tough cover and the 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 keys to this offense that him and Tanner Mordecai have have obviously been leading? Yeah, Rashi is um, you know, he's one of those players that everyone knows the ball is gonna go to him and he still finds a way to either draw a defensive penalty or come down with an incredible catch. And it's kind of incredible because he's been doing a lot of this on a turf toe, broken toe, whatever you want to call it, since the TCU game. Um you know, it really there was a point in the season where it really hampered him. I think last week against Tulane and in, in weather that probably felt like mid to high 30s was pretty tough on that toe. And obviously he kind of had a bad game um, for his standards. I mean, which was still, you know, a 60 yard game. Um, but he's been you know, he's been fantastic. And it's something we noticed kind of right in the offseason. The first time we got a chance to look at this year's team, we all kind of did a double take and we're like, wow, Rasheed looks bigger. And he had gotten bigger. He had gotten stronger. And uh, it's really translated over the field this year. It's one of those kind of I always kind of, you know, liken him to a little bit of the DeAndre Hopkins mold where it's like, hey, even though he's covered, he's not covered. Um, and so that's something that teams will definitely have to kind of pick up on and kind of what Tulane did and kind of gave him a lot more attention last week. Definitely. And speaking of, I mentioned him earlier, speaking of, of, of Rice, Tanner Mordecai has obviously put up some great numbers again. This is going to be his last home game. What what has he kind of, you know, done this year to kind of, you know, show his command of this offense where he's obviously just running it so smoothly, it seems at times. Yeah, I think his decision making has really improved this year. I think the Memphis game last year actually was probably the biggest example of his kind of, you know, weaknesses with with decision making a year ago. You know, he obviously had interception to seal it late. That was kind of a poor decision this year. You know, the Internet, the touchdown numbers are may not be the same, but 
I think there's some other factors playing into that, but he's been very, very smart with the ball for the most part. You know, he's not forcing things. He's, you know, if you go back to the Houston game where he had 10 touchdowns, um, you know, he was incredible. Uh, that was probably one of the best quarterback performances I've ever seen. Um, you know, and I've covered Mariota, Justin Herbert, you know, when I was back at Oregon. <clears throat> Long story short, he's he's got a lot of potential. And this year, I think when he has a little bit more selective playmaking abilities, it's kind of uh, – <clears throat> it's definitely been to uh, his improvement for sure. Definitely. You mentioned the 10-touchdown game. It kind of goes to the, another question I have. This this SMU team has been like a wild extreme of, of, of great offense to some questionable defense. Like they're, I've been reading their top 10 in, in, in scoring offense, but I believe they're bottom 10 in, in scoring defense, I think. Uh, how do you explain this, this, this weird variance where they can light it up, but they're also going to give teams a chance to score a lot too? Yeah, I looked at some of the other reporters in the press box after the th- or during the Thursday game against Tulane. I said, when was the last time SMU just had a normal game? Because I feel like everything has just been up and down, <laughs> crazy. Like, you know, especially with all the night deadlines. That's why I was very fortunate, very thankful for a 2.30 kickoff here in Dallas on uh, on Saturday. But no, it's been it's been kind of a wild year for SMU. And I mean, obviously, when you kind of look at who, you know, their background, you have an offensive minded head coach in Rhett Lashley who if you kind of look at every stop he's been at, the offense has kind of gotten worse after he's left. So obviously he's doing something, right? Uh, you kind of look at Miami this year. I mean, last year, you know, Tyler Van Dyke and Miami kind of looked like, hey, you know, we can score with anyone and he might be a first-round pick and Miami's kind of faltered off a little bit. And if you kind of trace Red Lashley's steps, that's kind of been the case everywhere he's gone, including at SMU, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so now he's back and obviously the offense is doing great. The defense has definitely had some issues this year. They've They've had a couple bright spots where the pass rush has kind of turned up. They, it kind of looks like they got a rotation on the defensive line, but the big kind of bugaboo that's been kind of bothering them all season is their tackling ability. Um, and it was really, really on display against Tulane, a team that averaged almost eight yards per carry and ran for over 300 yards. The only other team that's ran for over 300 yards against SMU this year was Navy. And obviously there's a reason for that. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it, it's been a wild year and, you know, and obviously look at the Houston game, SMU scores 77, but in order to win that game, they would have to score more than 63 because that's what they gave up. <laughs> so crazy, crazy kind of year for the Mustangs for sure. Yeah. That, that basketball game, as I call it, those, those, that, that, <laughs> that had to be a fun game to cover, at least just from a reporter standpoint, like 77, 63, like that's, that's gotta be wild. Right. I'm guessing. Well, the, the funny thing about that, too, was a couple nights later, the men's basketball team had their season opener, and they scored exactly 77 points because – and actually, in, in Texas A&M Commerce, that game scored 60. So oh the football God. team actually had a higher score than the basketball game, which That's is uh, which is pretty crazy. No, but that was insane. And my, my brain hurt just from, like, watching all the back and forth and my eyes darting back and forth. And, you know, maybe I had some neck problems after. I don't know. But it was it was a wild one. Well, Memphis and SMU have had some pretty interesting games. Obviously, 2019 is the game that I think about. The, the college game day was atmosphere in the morning, and that game was on ABC at night. Um, I think about how that game was crazy. Even in 2020, that game was was a crazy one where Memphis just coming off of COVID, um, their hiatus, nearly won that game, but Brady White threw an interception. SMU wins on a kick uh, field goal. Um, and last year's game was, was pretty crazy, too. Obviously, people didn't expect SMU to look the way they did, but Memphis found a way to – upset SMU. So um, this should be a fun one. And last question for you, Joe, um, something that Ryan Schofield brought up this week. Um, he mentioned how much SMU has been on the forefront of NIL and going into this new look AAC, SMU has very much 
capitalize on this NIL in a way that some of us who know college football expected them to because they have a good history of, of um, showing love to their players, we'll say. Um, how has SMU really kind of capitalized and captured this NIL space, you know, very, very well? Yeah, no, they've done a, they definitely done a good job. They have two collectives, um, one of which is more of a, hey, let's, you know, kind of funnel in some money on a very basic level and, you know, like, hey, come to my birthday party or, or hey, you know, we're having a kind of event here. Would, you know, would you guys kind of come out and do this? And that's been really good for retaining a lot of players across a lot of sports. Um, you know, but then they have the, the recent one where they're pledging $36,000 a year, essentially, to football and basketball and uh, men's basketball players. And recently they added women's basketball players to that same collective. Um, so, you know, that from a from a publicity standpoint, I mean, they've also kind of marketed it. You know, they have the, uh, you know, New Pony, Same Express stuff. They did a big commercial, you know, with Eric Dickerson. Um, you know, and some of the other legends from SMU past, um, you know, they've really kind of marketed that way. So in terms of publicity, you know, with NIL, they've done a really good job. Um, you know, it's obviously it's kind of the one thing we're learning about is actually how this kind of keeps translating, how it keeps turning and how it keeps changing. You know, I mean, it's kind of easy to to be public about it and then, you know, they got to go out and do it. And so that's kind of been what they have to do over the next year and year and a half is really kind of not only say that, you know, the, hey, we're an NIL for on the NIL forefront, but be about being on the NIL forefront. So I, I think that's something that they're definitely trying to do. And um, obviously, you know, it, it helps a lot. Um, and I think from an NIL perspective, too, Dallas actually does play a huge role, um, you know, in marketing it. It's, it's a place where there's a lot of a lot of companies are here and it, it's a, you know, it's a central kind of hub across the United States. And you know, there's a lot of good restaurants down here. <laughs> so there's, there's a lot of good NIL marketing opportunities for sure. And, you know, and I, I think that's something that SMU is definitely hoping to utilize in their tool belt, especially going into an American athletic conference. that's losing some kind of some, some high caliber NIL talent as well. Definitely. Definitely. I think that makes this a very interesting game, not just for on the field, but at least for Memphis, they're looking at a team that's probably what they want to aspire to. They want to aspire to being a team that, you know, can attract players with NIL, but also keep them with NIL. So SMU presents that challenge, but of course on the field is what we're here for Saturday night or Saturday afternoon, excuse me. Should be a fun one. Joe, appreciate you coming on. Thanks for talking about SMU and uh, looking forward to a great one this weekend. Yeah. Always happy to talk with you, Evan. Our thanks to Joe Hoyt of the Dallas Morning News for joining us on this week's podcast. Evan, what did you find most interesting about what Joe said, and 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 what do you make of this SMU matchup for the Tigers? Well, first off, I thought it was interesting as we were discussing NIL. You know, Joe kind of shed some more light on kind of what SMU is doing. They have two collectives just to kind of show what what money you're talking about over there. They have two collectives that are um, paying players in terms of football, basketball, uh, both basketball teams too. So I thought that was interesting to hear him shed some light there. But this this SMU team, I mean, he said it best. This is It's a wild year. You don't know what you're going to expect from them. Like this is a team that put up 77 points in the game that they gave up 63 points in and then turned around and then gave up 59 points to Tulane. I mean, this team is, is a weird team. And even Joe kind of said it like, is there a normal game on their schedule that they can play? Um, I think it's going to be an interesting game for Memphis. Like, yes, Memphis has only won three road games in the Ryan Sewerfield era the last three seasons. Um, they're going to get points in this game because SMU's defense just seems to be a little bit shaky. But the question is going to be, can they stop SMU enough from scoring? Because obviously 
you have a team that if you look at the numbers, it's it's wild. Like they're top 10 in scoring offense. They're top 10 in total offense, but they're bottom 10 in scoring defense. And I believe bottom 10 in rushing defense. So it's a very weird team you have here that's going to basically score a lot and give up a lot. It's almost like your classic AAC team back in the day in a way. So uh, I think we're going to be in for a, a wild game that would add to another wild game between these two teams. Interesting. And then you've got the other subplot of today. We found it. Tanner Mordecai announced that he's going to bypass his final year of eligibility. So this will be his last game at SMU. He's already announced that ahead of it. Um, so that's an interesting subplot to all this. Yeah. Also should point out with Mordecai SMU also has the leading receiver in the country with Rashi Rice, who is right now, I believe, um, a finalist, I believe he's one of the 10 finalists for the Boletnikoff Award. He, again, leads the nation in receiving yards, a uh, big dynamic threat. He's one of the senior bowls, so he's going to be showing out for his last home game as well, too. Good stuff. Um, yeah, we'll be, uh, hopefully, maybe it'll be a shoot. Maybe we'll get an old-fashioned shootout between Memphis and SMU down in Dallas. Evan, we appreciate it. Uh, make sure you are checking out Evan's work over at commercialappeal.com. He will have uh, tons of stuff leading up to the game uh, and coming out of it um, as uh, the Tigers uh, will play their regular season finale. And then, uh, you know, I guess a week and a half from now, probably we'll figure out where they are headed uh, bowling uh, this this year. So uh, plenty more left uh, to digest in this uh, season that has not quite uh been what everyone hoped it would be, but I do think they're, you know, they still have a chance here if they can beat SMU and then win their bowl game. If you can go into the offseason eight and five, um, I don't know if, the, again, I don't know if that's going to change people's minds about Ryan Silverfield, but I do think it will just make you think differently. It'll change the narrative of the season a little bit. It won't feel, uh, as disappointing as it currently feels, I think. Um, so they still have that opportunity in front of them. And SMU feels like a, you know, it's not going to be an easy game to win, but it does feel like a game you can win. Um, and certainly I think you can do that in the bowl game as well. So uh, still some stuff to play for. So uh, interesting moment for the Memphis football program till next week. I was Mark. That was Evan. Thanks so much. And uh, have a happy Thanksgiving. Tiger Football Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.